0: Welcome to Free For All, an episode-by-episode podcast about one of the most endlessly fascinating television shows ever made, The Prisoner. Each week we'll be taking an in-depth look at the 17 episodes of The Prisoner. I'm Chris Bainbridge, Senior Lecturer in Broadcast and Creative Media, and I'm also a Prisoner devotee. And I'm Kai Ross, a film writer, restaurateur, and Chris's mate, which
1: is how I got this gig. And we're here. We're at the end, Fallout, mm. or a.k.a. The Prisoner Goes Full, Sid Barrett. <laughs> it's, yes. um, and it's the first one, first one with a, a bit of a, a preamble, a uh, uh, sort of previously on The Prisoner.
0: Yeah. But a quote here from McGowan about Fallout. You still want to know its message? Then it's this. The most dangerous thing in the world is an attitude of mind. But I think an attitude of mind is... Something that we need to look at within the context of this episode. Because I was saying to you before we started recording, a lot of people, I think, missed the point of uh, of this episode. Yeah. And they jump straight into the 60s counterculture with the – I mean, obviously, the counterculture does play a part. But the drug element, I I think we should avoid because I don't think there is any real evidence that drugs have influenced – this, I think, that's quite a lazy piece of investigation. Well, I, don't,
1: really. I, don't th- I don't think Magoo had the faintest trace of an interest in drugs, no. um... unless it
0: was paracetamol yeah. and some <laughs> Ovaltine after a hard <laughs> day's filming.
1: <laughs> yes, boshing some uh, some paracetamol. No, I don't. I don't think so. In fact, they're kind of very directly sixties stuff. The specifically sixties stuff. That sort of thing was dating faster than a glass of milk on a radiator. Even by sort of the end of 1967, stuff from the beginning of 1967 looked... Out of date. It looked out <laughs> of date, yeah. And you, it, it, everything kind of felt a little bit like uh, 48-year-old businessmen sort of writing
0: scenes like, Hey, daddy just been digging this great <laughs> scene over the... Uh, the dis- I know exactly what you mean. There's a Star Trek episode called The Way to Eden, mm. and it has space hippies. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that dated... Very very quickly. Yes. And by the end of the year, that was like.
1: Uh, I mean, the, the classic text for dated teenage dialogue and, and attitudes is probably the, I've talked about it before, "Dracula AD 1972, yeah. where they, they they talk like they're in some
0: beatnik cafe from like, <laughs> from a Kerouac book. Yes, but of course, music was influenced by people like Ginsberg, wasn't it at the time? The oh beat, yeah, he was a beat, beat poet poets and-, and yeah yeah
1: yeah. I mean, if you everything else in, the, in this episode, I mean, it's um, as you'll discover is just. Limitlessly fascinating mm. But when you actually sort of, uh, It's all about The 60s-ness
0: mm. it's, It becomes instantly Less interesting to me It's not it's n- me. I don't think it is This is a timeless Piece of television mm. and, and, and we can watch this now Without the cringe factor There's nothing really In this episode Apart from maybe Canna's youth mm. That betrays The time it was made Yeah That's about it really Yeah I think Obviously so Obviously the tech as well But that's, that's it Yeah I, I completely agree There's another quote from McGowan. The prisoner is not a real piece of espionage like Danger Man. It's an allegory, a fable. But I'm almost willing to bet you see the point in the final episode. Mm. And I think a lot of people did, or a lot of people have done, but at the time, a lot of people... Did not. No, they did not. Uh, I I wonder how many... I would have hated to have been on that switchboard. Yeah, (laughs) just... (laughs) Just silent for the entire day, and then suddenly... The lights... Oh, uh, you can imagine
1: the (laughs) picture in the guise of clutching eight different sort of phone receivers. Hello, sorry, I'll just put you on...
0: I need to put you on hold, hang on. Plug in those (laughs) jack cables in here.
1: I have just watched the most
0: absurd... Their points of view. <laughs> no, you can't. ATV. I'm just like. <laughs> feel like Alan Partridge when he's cutting off all them. Yeah, I feel. I feel for them. They're unsung heroes of the prisoner. Yeah. The people I who know. had to field those calls. I know. I know. Little
1: MBE on the way. And I do wonder, you know, the, the, I mean, the, the, it's part of the legend now. Mm. And, and there's slight falsehood as well that it, that it chased Magoon out of the country. Yeah. He had to flee
0: <laughs> as if there were people sort of marching towards his house with placards. Well, there's different accounts, isn't there? There's the stories that he went off to Switzerland, the stories that he went off to a secret location in Wales. Yeah. Secrets that you know, But that it's, he... it's,
1: quite, it's quite nice for the legend that uh, uh, yes. it, it was such an explosive bit of TV that it just infuriated everybody. Yeah. But I wonder how how many...
0: Maybe if you went back on the records, how many people did ring in 12?
1: Yeah. Probably.
0: But it was like the Brass Eye Special, all these people who who wrote in and rang in to complain who hadn't even seen it. No, They were just incensed because they'd read it in a newspaper or the news report. But
1: but as soon as you watched it, you realised that that's what he was sending up. Yeah. The kind of people were getting wound up and upset
0: about it. And usually that's the case, is they've missed the point. Yes. And, And that brings us right back to Fallout. A lot of people miss the point. But... Nonetheless, I mean, can you imagine watching this?
1: Hmm. Especially if you were kind of into it uh, on a sort of Danger Man level, that you've been following this, and this is it. We're going to find out who number one is. Ooh. And then watching that for the first time, you would have either... I can't imagine anyone going, well, I'm going to watch some BBC Two now. (laughs) Uh, you, You would have either been sort of I, what the ha- I, what the or you would have gone, oh my god i've um, my life is never going to be the same again,
0: but let's not forget television was more of a communal experience, yes, so you 'd watch it with your family you'd you 'd watch it with a group of people and then you would discuss it mm. you know it wouldn 't be a case of we are watching it on demand later in bed on a on a tablet or whatever you know what i mean yeah you know it was more of a communal experience people don't rush off to internet message boards to start typing <laughs> you know i hated it two out of ten worst episode ever yeah what the hell was that it's, it was a case of you know you can imagine the family sitting around watching that and maybe the younger ones going that was amazing that was brilliant the parents are going and the dad a oh, load of rubbish yeah cobblers well, let's see what's on BBC2. Maybe the 4 <laughs> Angler are on.
1: Ah, yeah, they took that off for this nonsense.
0: Yes. Talk about the, uh, the the preamble. Yeah, so it basically condenses down, as most recaps. But I think it basically just focuses on some of the more important elements of that story. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it sets up the, you know, we're going into the Emperor Room one week, uh, and then you see each stage. But... One thing I noticed this time, going back to the theatrical elements that we talked about in Once Upon a Time, is the use of the follow spots, the the spotlight. I noticed this in this, but Mm. I didn't notice it in the episode at all. Mm. Which I think is why it's important to pick up on it now, no pun intended. When I say follow spot, it's usually a light that's usually on a tripod that you basically use to isolate uh, an individual usually Mm. to, to, to highlight them. So you have like a full body and a half body and a tight pin spot and things like that. Famously ABBA wrote a song about a follow spot, Super Trooper. Really? Yeah, Super Trooper, Lights Are Gonna Find Me, is, is about a follow spot. <laughs> See, if, even if you... If
1: you <laughs> the stuff you can learn I know. by listening to Free For All. Yes. <laughs> these <are> like Especially <laughs> if you're free an ABBA gifts. fan. But if you're an ABBA fan, you already know that. Ah, well, I, I'm a fan, but it's, uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've come out of this recording session with at least
0: one piece of extra knowledge. Yeah. Lights Are Gonna Find Me, Shining Like the Sun. And, yeah, so when, he, when they're in that trailer at the yes. end, we see that. You see the follow spots. And I,
1: uh, my first thought was,
0: well, who's operating those? Why do you need them? That's the question, because you've got, you know, you've got lighting in, in the studio. It, it reminded me a little bit of uh, when, you, when you were in
1: prison. Mm. Do you remember the classic scene, Superman two? The classic, <laughs> when they're trying to break out, there's always that sort of spotlight. Yes, yes. And it sort of reminded me of that. Especially since the, the moment I
0: spotted it, he mm. was in the, the room with the bars. It sort of yeah. highlights. I thought, hello. They don't need it. No, of course not. But why is it there? It, it goes back to the theatrical mm. element from Once Upon a Time. Yes,
1: the curtains
0: and everything. Yeah. yeah. Just adds more weight to it. The other point in the trailer, they point out the mobile home. You can go anywhere.
1: Yes. Yeah. Which will pay off.
0: But yeah. what is that saying? Is that home is a, a concept that we can be anywhere and doesn't matter where you go, you're still a prisoner because you've got the bars.
1: Mm. My thought was that it was simply to, to sort of plant the seed that's going to pay off when they actually drive off in it. Because
0: uh... he says, doesn't he, that food for six months or something like that. But, of course, it's, it's, the, you know, it's the home unit with bars. Mm. Well, what are the bars there for? If it's not symbolic, yeah, you know, no matter where you go, you're always going to be a prisoner.
1: Yeah, I think for the the last two episodes, I think everything is symbolic. Yeah. I think the entire thing, it's just, there's there's almost no plot at all. It's pure allegory. Mm.
0: And written again in in quite a a spurt, apparently, on a plane. A fallout.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was probably locked in a room situation. Mm.
0: I mean, again, there are two
1: different views, aren't there? Or several different views, depending on who you ask, Mm. as to whether he actually knew where this was going. Or whether uh, he hadn't got a clue and mm. was literally writing it in in a fever dream, like oh, this sort of, <laughs> which well, just, uh, just opening his soul out onto the page, yes. and then and then maybe gingerly sort of looking back and seeing what he'd written it before it came out in such a burst, or or whether that was all I think he probably always knew who number one was. Mm. It was just a question of how to how
0: how to get there. According to Alexis Canner, the first draft was written on an airplane. Mm. Uh, apparently it was rewritten a few times. But at one stage, McGowan allegedly declared to Lou Grade, we have no ending. Yes. Which ties in with what you were saying there. Grade told him to leave it loose. Uh, McGowan retreated to write, fueled by scotch and sandwiches <laughs> supplied by Frank Mayer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently they turned up on the Monday and the script wasn't ready, so they had to push it back to... Tuesday afternoon, and apparently Magoon's mood was quite yeah. severe. Fraught. And he was being nasty with everybody, including poor old Frank Mayer. That was unwise. But then Magoon changed the view of events later on and claimed that he already knew the ending and it was planned all along. So yes, yes. there you go. You've yes. got opposing information there and do with it what you will. <laughs>
1: yes. Well, he had a wonderfully sort of capricious side to him, Magoon, I think. I think he, uh, he was frustrated... Sometimes by the reaction to it, the, and then sometimes he kind of fed fed the lion in mm. a way. So he sort of and would throw little bits just to distract people and maybe create self
0: mythologize yeah, he's a writing his own legend, isn't it? Yeah, he? well, why not? Why not? <laughs> but in a 1968 interview with Anthony Davis, he said, I envisaged it from the beginning. In a series like this, you have to know at the outset what you're aiming at. You've got to know the ending before you can begin. So I had the idea for the final episode, first of all, and took it from there. But in a 1979 interview, (laughs) (laughs) talking to Roger Goodman... I hadn't got the specific ending that we finished it with, but I certainly knew where it had to go and the way in which it should finish and the message it should put forth. But I didn't have that last script in the beginning. In fact, the last script was written by me very close to the end in 36 hours, just scribbling away and chiselling at it until everything I got, what we have, which, as far as I'm concerned, I think works. I wouldn't change it. No, no, no. If, well, it is what it is. It is what it is. Maybe he had the, the germ. Maybe he had... The, basically where he wanted to go with it but just didn't have the actual 36 hours structure around it maybe that's why they were late on monday he was just asleep (laughs) (laughs) yes but that's probably accounts for his foul mood yes (laughs) i'd be a little bit crotchety but that make that kind of makes sense really you know maybe he had the idea he knew how he wanted it to end but he just didn't have the dialogue which ties in with what he said to Lou grade really doesn't it you know we don't have a script
1: on my hands I <laughs> st- that stand up thinking, when, I, when, I, when I the first time I heard that I was I was I, th- I was vibrating in the mm. chair it was so exciting and the way the way it sort of the brass hits the uh, title yes. fall out fall out as well it's Something about the the two word separation thing mm. I thought oh god <laughs> and it happened again I, sit, watched it, I haven't seen it for, for years
0: and yeah. I was sit down and watch it again I just suddenly got giddy it's a remarkable opening. It's brilliant. It's the so payoff, the though, portent. Isn't it? Yes, yes. There is an impending sense of of something, isn't there, in that yeah, in yeah. that music? And of course, you've got for the first time ever that little opening note mm. filmed in the grounds of. Uh, Did no one know? Well, I'm guessing if you'd ever been to Port Mary, you'd recognise it instantly. But I, I read that Clef Williams Ellis had asked not to publicise it until filming was over. Yeah. I mean, you've you've seen the footage from. Uh, it's on the fortieth and fiftieth. Blu ray DVD sets. Magoon's filming arrival with tourists course, all around. Him. I know. You know and, if, and if they all got, if they all cottoned on to, like Dave Barry did, you know, that this was being filmed there, I mean, that was local press basically spilt the beans, and yeah. they? And he'd gone there to, to watch the filming. They'd have been inundated with people coming to see a star, mm-hmm. you know, if they could find the place. Huge, <laughs> well, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. But a huge star as well.
1: It's a strange thing to actually
0: put up front
1: though in a, in a, in a way you thought they would have put that at the end simply because it kind of takes you out of a, it sort of, this note but, reminds you that yes. this
0: is a film series but I suppose the opening does anyway because it says Patrick McGoo in, in The Prisoner <laughs> Yeah, All so. the way through, doesn't it? Maybe part of the agreement was we will publicise this at the show's end so you can basically you know, enjoy the tourists that will flock to it.
1: Yes. Alexis Canner gets his name in a little box. A little box. The re- Every now and then that happens. Yeah. I'm sure it's almost like a, can I have my name in a box? They're special.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> featuring,
1: and featuring special guest, yeah. Richard Dicehart. <laughs> that sort of thing
0: But um, you know this this sequence where they, they stand on the, the circular lift Yes That has always reminded me a little bit of the Time Machine The H.G. Wells story But also the George Powell film Yeah, with Rod Taylor Yeah, where they have Eloy on the surface yeah. Who are all kind of, you know, docile, sheep-like people Always happy, kind mm. of gentle, like the villagers And then below the surface you have the Morlocks mm. Who are kind of using them as cattle and, you know, controlling their lives from below the surface. There's, all, all, there's little elements, I think, of the time machine within this story. It's because you've got all the, the people like number one and uh, the president, the assembly, are all below ground. And then you have this docile cattle-like population in the village above with the bright colours and, you know, the, Fenella Fielding's <laughs> voice and ice cream and pleasantries and all that kind of stuff. So there, there are certain shades, I think, of the, of the time machine. Yeah. Within that. There's a lot of sort of.
1: The f- just the simple fact that they're descending, mm. it, it has a sort of subconscious way of sort of, we're going beneath, we're going underneath the surface. Mm. It's, uh, we're going deep. Mm.
0: We're going deep on this, boys. Well, like you were saying on Dance of the Dead, it's like um, Orpheus, isn't it? Or yes. Faye Yeah. Descending into the, the depths. I don't know if this is too early to, to ask
1: this, but uh, when you see the set, of course, and all the stalactites. Mm. Is there.
0: I, for the first time,
1: I suddenly thought, is this, is this supposed to be hell?
0: Well, you, I, I've actually written my notes, you know, Shades of Milton, Dante's Inferno, Seven Levels of Hell, Divine yeah, Comedy, sort of... all that kind of stuff. I mean, I mean, we're going to talk about McGowan's education, classical education. I mean, yeah. we talked about his biography at school in the last episode. When he was in school down the Leicester Way, he probably would have studied the classics. Yes. Greek mythology, you know, uh, Latin and things like that. And, and, and things like Dante, maybe, and, and Milton. I think he would have been aware of them. I think McGowan might have been quite well read. Yeah. You know, and as Dave Barry said in in our special episode, you know, if you've ever been on set, if you've ever been part of filming, there's a lot of waiting around. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of standing around, especially if you're an actor. And uh, Maybe during the Danger Man years, McGowan had quite a few books at his disposal as he was waiting, you know, in between takes and things like that, who knows yeah. but you know, as actors usually have a lot of time to have a book with them, if they've gone if they know the lines, fine, but you know they'd probably be reading the script otherwise, but I wonder if his classical education and his, his acting sensibilities have allowed him to attain this knowledge, mm. you know, and, and put it into this final episode
1: Yeah, he's, he's the kind of actor um, well, actor, writer and director of course mm. by this stage, who would have um, studied uh, very, very hard Mm. I think he, he, it wasn't just a passing sort of. Uh, I quite like acting. Yeah, and it's nice because yeah. you get to pretend to be other people. Yeah, it's no, it's not that he was. He was absolutely immersed, uh, and so he would have definitely come across things like Dante and.
0: Uh, what you just said there about acting, I think we'll come to when we get to the uh, the cloakroom. Yes, because that, that I think a lot of people just skip over that. I, There's yeah. a lot to be read from that scene. Well, first of all, we have the, the walking down the corridor, don't we? Mm. To the strains of All You Need Is Love and the jukebox. Yeah. Well, as we've stated before, you know, the Beatles were fans. Yes. And they sold the rights. Now, some sources say for £48... Pounds, I had 65 Yeah, and some sources say £60. Pounds. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> surely, surely there's no re- that you're the paid- you,
0: You'd have to ask Eric Myvel. He's probably the only person to be able to give you an answer on that. I He's think. probably still got the stub for, <laughs> for the uh, the check that he wrote. But apparently, the rights were bought for in perpetuity. Yeah, for all you need is it's love. A big, big deal. Yeah, I having mean, a Beatles song. Having a Beatles song for life. I know. Um, Episodes
1: of some shows can't be put on DVD because they can't, they've lost yeah. the rights to the song which they use in this episode, so it's gone.
0: I remember that happened with the I'm Alan Partridge DVD because they had things like Big Yellow Taxi because he, he introduces the songs, doesn't it? That's right, yeah. Uh, and then the, the songs fading out. And of course, when that went to DVD, you are like, well, we've got a rights issue here because it's going to cost us uh, X amount of money. It happened, you know, the American Office? Yeah. There was one uh, show that they used a piece of music and it was something like, it was like, in the you know tens of thousands just to license this piece of music, it's it's just a whole yeah you know rabbit hole that you go down with copyright. But uh, I mean to get I mean
1: there's only I, I don't even think there are ten. Mm. I remember uh, Mad Men got to use Tomorrow Never Knows. They did yes. And the fact that they were allowed to do that made the papers. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's, it's it's a big big deal. Well, it happened with the film I Am Sam, the Sean Penn. Well, they couldn't use any of the... They had to use no, covers, didn't they? it was they? too expensive to use the original Beatles songs. To
1: the, to the point you kind of think, why are we making this? Yeah,
0: if we can't use the Beatles songs. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I found there's a f- slight flaw. Just before we greenlit like this thing, <laughs> Sean, and I know you're really, really keen to do this, we can't use any of this. It's just an absurd... If they had the same thing with the Brian Jones film, mm. Stoned. Yeah. I mean, the only Stone song they could use was um, Not Fade Away, because it wasn't yeah. one of theirs. Yes. And you kind of think, this, this is ridiculous, and I think Starman. They've had yeah this the recent David Bowie film.
0: Ben. Yeah, what is the point? I know.
1: What is this kind of thing? You know, what? Johnny Flynn wasn't but, it? As, yeah.
0: uh, he's Jerome Flynn's brother apparently. Is he? Yeah, nice I, little link there. I don't know. that. Yeah. yeah, Jerome Flynn, Johnny Flynn, brothers. Johnny Flynn, oh, he's- he did also did the theme tune for the Detectorists. I, he was in um, the uh,
1: Hangman, mm. the play, which I saw, and I thought, these, he's, who's this guy? He's, yeah. he's reminded me of a
0: young Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. Yes, yes, it does a bit. So, something about that. The other one that springs to mind is the Jimi Hendrix biopic. Yeah. Well, Couldn't use any well, Hendrix well, You just think, listen,
1: guys, we're about to spend a vast amount of money making this film, yeah. but there's a colossal problem. Yeah. Before we start, should we just not do this? What's the point? <laughs> Show of hands.
0: <laughs> but all you need is love. That's an interesting piece of music because it was used as part of the first live satellite broadcast, Our World. Our World, yeah. And it was global in 1967. Oh uh, yes. The fact is, he knew the piece of music, and he wanted a piece of music that he felt wouldn't date. Yes. You know, if you'd have put in, <laughs> you know, some of the songs <laughs> that around at the time, it'd be like, yeah, it's yeah. very 1960s. The Strawberry Alarm Clock. Yeah. One of the songs he wanted apparently was "Strawberry Fields Forever." Really? Yeah. I don't know how that would have worked. No, no. I'm not sure that would have worked. All You Need Love has that uh, more of a message. It has more of a, you know, but what is it saying? All you need is love to love other people, but more importantly, to love yourself first. Mm. That's how I read it.
1: Yeah, no, yes, I agree. Wasn't it supposed to be sort of several different songs? Like there
0: was a different song for each jukebox they Mm. walked past. And uh, I don't know, I've never heard that. I suppose that's possible, but you would have had to have paid more. Exactly, Especially at the time with money being... A bit more tighter than it was previously. Yeah, and yeah. having got the Beatles for 65 quid. Yeah, you'd or... want to use that, wouldn't yeah. you? It you was know, <laughs> a, bit of a just play, Played on a loop all yeah. the way through the entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine uh, Kenneth Griffith saying, and now here's Alexis Caddo with his <laughs> rendition of.
1: wringing <laughs> every drop of value out yeah. of it. Yeah.
0: But um, yeah, that was played around the world. I mean, apparently the Beatles did a, uh, a backing track and then it was perform live, live vocals around the world, and one of the yeah. first telecommunications And the Stones were
1: singing on it as well. Yeah. During,
0: the, you know, towards the end when everyone turns into a, cor- a big chant. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, going back to the prescience of, of technology, it's also one of the positive aspects of furthering technology in that you're able to broadcast around the world. This communication system has now gone global. Yeah. You know, being able to see pictures and sound live from one country in another country yeah I mean obviously with the, the delay uh, that used to get on those really awkward interviews in yeah. the 80s suddenly I remember one with the Bee Gees so, so Barry how are you finding LA <laughs> and then like five second pause and it's like yeah great because <laughs> <laughs> that signal has to bounce doesn't it yeah you know and uh, but, uh, quite like that <laughs> yeah let's not do this live this is awful TV <laughs> And then we come to the dressing room. Now, this, yes. is, this is a rabbit hole in itself.
1: Well, I just thought that the, the coat hangers mm. represent the clothes of personality that the village have tried to make him wear, the, the, the person that they've tried to change him into and have failed over the series. There's nothing left, there's mm-hmm. only him. And so uh, it's basically everything we've tried to do to get you to change and to, to, to come onto our side or whatever, to tell us why you mm. resigned it's all failed there's mm-hmm. nothing left now except these empty coat hangers and you
0: you're the uh, you're the result of that and um, what i was gonna say is not a million miles away but going back to our autobiographical exploration of once upon a time mm. this room reminds me of a theater dressing room uh-huh, yeah. and the coat hanger being you know people unkindly saying actors are nothing more than coat hangers they put on these <laughs> different clothes now That's important because if you watch the In My Mind documentary with Chris Rodley, Magooan, there's a scene where Magooan's on the beach and Mm. he's drawing in the sand. Yes. And what does he draw? A coat hanger. Ah. So I think this is more of a a pointedly, more of a pointed focus at the theatrical element, the actor's element. I think this is also autobiographical. And it leads into the, you know, the the prisoner theory that this is about Magooan. Yes. Which we can probably do a whole episode on. Well, I mean... The, Number the, six the, is actually Patrick McGowan. The only line in that mini-scene
1: mm. uh, almost backs that up and validates We thought, we thought, we thought you, you would feel... feel <laughs> yeah,
0: with it's strip Hard delivery. Yeah. Happier <laughs> as, as yourself. yourself. <laughs> Which is almost like the way an amateur actor would deliver lines. Yes. If they don't get the meaning behind the lines or the intention, they may read it in an odd way without the right... Phrasing and pauses. Yeah. So I, a- I look at it. The other thing that leads me to believe this is an actor's dressing room and not a village dressing room is there's a theatrical basket on the right, mm. which you would sometimes put clothes in or store clothes in or maybe legs, curtains, drapes, like theatrical curtains. You'd store them in, in things like that as well. The fact that they're swinging it's like, yes. Yes. It's it just gives a bit of movement to the scene. I don't think there's anything particularly in there because the focus is on the dummy, the mannequin, yeah. wearing the arrival suit. Handy that they happen to have a number six dummy. Yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> Which it actually reminds me of the the bronze sculpture in Port Merion mm. by his house. Yes. A slightly chunkier.
0: Face. But there's also that line in Shakespeare, isn't there? Uh, a man in his time plays many parts, mm. which ties in with this. But what I thought was interesting when he sees the mannequin, he starts he starts unbuttoning the top of the shirt. Yeah. Now, if you were to get your clothes, you'd take the jacket off first. Mm. But he goes for the the shirt, and you see underneath, like a grey t shirt. Yeah. So what does that? Represent? Does it? Maybe it means nothing. Maybe it means that there's like a number two grey shirt underneath, and <laughs> I don't know. But I, I just thought that was an odd. It was an unusual, bit of, the way yeah. he was
1: trying to unbutton it was quite unusual as well. He was yes. sort of, almost like sort of caressing himself. The, the, it, it, it was claw, clawing at himself. Mm. Um, it, and for a start, you'd use two hands. Yes. You do, 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 Take do. the jacket off first, yeah, yeah. then maybe the shirt and the oh, trousers. I, and if, I, if there was a coat hanger handy, I could do. Oh, oh there's,
0: there's, there's 50 of them. Yeah. Oh, You've <laughs> you you like that there. uncomfortable. In, he's got the clothes and he looks around and there's Swanick and <laughs> the butler <laughs> looking at him, he's like, do, do you mind <laughs> <laughs> to get changed, please? What, we'll do you to, what do you want me to do with this? i just put it in the basket. We'll turn around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but this leads me to think, is the question shouldn't be where am I? Mm. I think it should be who am I? Because McGowan spent his pretty much his whole professional life being other people. Yes. You know, and when he resigned from Danger Man, he couldn't escape the cult of celebrity. And there's, there is a theory along those lines that I think is worth exploring here, because there are a lot of autobiographical elements within The Prisoner. I personally choose to see this as the theatrical dressing room, that this is, you know, we want you to be happier as Patrick McGowan rather than Number six.
1: Yes, I'd love to sort of uh, disagree with you because it would form a bit more sort of discordant tone and, and <laughs> be a bit more clickbaity But yes. uh, no, yeah, I think you, I think you, <laughs> you're right. I mean, M- Catherine McGuin. Was it in my mind? Yes, yeah, the interview. I mean, she was saying sort of uh, she hadn't spotted that his birthday and Number Six's birthday were the same, mm. and it
0: sort of dropped to her that this whole thing was about him. The whole thing was autobiographical. Well, he also resigns to Markstein. I, th- I think this is, I mean, we, we'll explore this in, the, in an episode itself because I think it, it's a theory that has been explored a little bit, but I think there's a lot more that could be talked about. The autobiographical nature. Yeah. Mm. But we'll come back to that because this is about Fallout. Yeah, OK. And although there is autobiography in this, I think there's so much more mm. that we need to talk about. So you were saying before about the language, Fallout. out. Yes. We have another one. Well, come. Yeah.
1: Um, I have to say, going back to this, uh, I, I really enjoyed it the first time I saw it when I was a kid. In fact, I was semi-obsessed. <laughs> but it led to me... I remember I... I, I wrote an appalling... Uh, I, was, I went through a bit of a sooty phase of uh, my long, floppy fringe. And I, I remember writing this interminable set of poems under it was called Internal mm-hmm. In, well, you Were you six, a sixth form any chance? Oh, I think I was a year afterwards <laughs> yeah. I, f- I feel sick <laughs> confessing this just pathetic sort of <laughs> the worst kind of pretentious garbage I kind of tracked that back to yeah. seeing stuff like well come yeah and, uh, and thinking my god how clever yeah separated the words and made two words out of it and now there's all sorts of uh, interpretations that's what I'm going to do yeah I very quickly realised that I was uh, not a poet, and should feel ashamed of myself mm-hmm. even briefly thinking I was. And a lot of that I kind of tracked back to to this episode in terms of, of not liking it. Mm. I, I, I sort of so it turned me off the episode a little bit. So it was as soon as I saw that welcome, I thought, "Oh God!" But thank God for six one poetry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I actually burned it. At least you uh, got it out of your system. Uh, the way I choose to look at that is welcome is one of the possible etymology examples of the term welcome. Mm. where you've, you've, It's like a portmanteau word, isn't it? Where you yes. take two and kind of stick them together, get rid of the extra L. Welcome. Yes. Which is what it means. Arrive well. Arrive well, yeah. Yes. Well, come, come well. Old English. But could this be, also be a nod to evolution and change in terms of language evolving? because we would have moved from you know we used to have the, the the what we would consider ye ye olde yes which isn't pronounced ye is it it's pronounced the the y is a th the old shop hmm. and then Language evolves, so the Y becomes a TH, and the old, the E on the old is removed. People are, ooh, I don't know about this new <laughs> this new speak that people, this new way of speaking. Yeah, these are, teenagers with their THs. Yeah, yeah I'm using T-H. Oh, oh, that, kids. Would have been, that would
1: have been as annoying to yeah. a 50-year-old a exactly. medieval guy as starting a sentence with so is but to we us.
0: Do, we're doing this now when we're using things like uh, emojis, which arguably the use of images goes back to the Egyptians. Yeah. So we can't really complain. Language evolves. Yeah. <laughs> Language evolves and it shifts. Yeah. And I think that's maybe what they're trying to do here, especially with things like Fallout as well, because it's not Fallout like nuclear Fallout. It's not spelt the all, same. But well, it is spelt the same, but it's not used as... It's used as a singular word, isn't it, Fallout? It is, but, I mean, surely that's... there's a There's a... Double connotation there. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> We could have called this anything. Mm. McGuin is railing against evolution and technology and, and the shifting patterns and not appreciation. And I think this is quite a nice nod to that in a certain way because it shows how language has also changed. Mm. But we, we kind of adopt it. Bloggers, <laughs> podcasts, all these new words that appear become part of our cultural makeup. And a lot of people complain about the way things are spelled. Like, text speak, mm. hi mate, M8. It's still communication. It's not proper English, but <laughs> it doesn't matter, really. It, it, you know, it doesn't really matter because this is what has happened over the last since the Romans occupied Britain. Mm. Language has changed and shifted. We were all speaking French in, you know, in the 11th century and things well, you like look that. We posher. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'd have been in me hut with me Anglo-Saxon.
0: Yeah, I don't think I, I could be ever described as posh. <laughs> 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 But, yeah, that's, so that, that's how I read it. I just read it as that, you know, the, how we use words. And that also links to the way Swanick delivers that line. Mm. We thought you would feel happier
1: uh, as yourself. yourself.
0: The shift of intention and emphasis on certain words and the way that they... Like, almost like today when you have these pre-recorded, you have booked <laughs> <laughs> Batman on Thursday, 13th of June. You know where they have these different? Uh,
1: yeah, Do you remember trying to book a cinema?
2: Mm.
1: Eight millimetre. You have chosen the
0: Rock. <laughs> yeah. No, eight millimetre. They did this in uh, Alan Partridge. Did this didn't he on one of the mid morning matters? He's no. like Inception. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's just this. He got no, Inception. And it's just it's hilarious. But yeah, it's. I don't think, it. obviously, it's not going to be that, but it does remind me of that style of delivery of an automated yes, system or a computer, yeah. a 60s computer, where they all talk like that. <laughs> apart from how, of course. Yes,
1: it's like more sinister. Yeah. I'm sorry, Patrick. Or Proteus from Demon Seed. Oh, I haven't it's seen Demon S- Seed. Oh, really, very, very fascinating film. Is but it? Robert Vaughan's doing it. Ah. And uh, with a, a absolutely monosyllabic. Yeah incredibly sinister. Yeah. Great film, that. Donald Camel.
0: And then we open up onto the fantastic Cavern set. Yes. Huge cave, stages one and two. M. Gen Borenwood.
1: Yes. And it was a sort of holdover, wasn't it, from what was the film Battle Beneath the Earth. Okay. Which um, <laughs> is... I haven't seen it. I've seen the trailer. The trailer's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. It's... Uh, there's a reason none of you have ever heard of it. Uh, I think it's about sort of the Chinese army have, have been... It's, i think the trailer starts with the earth being decimated and then uh, nuclear war obviously and then the chinese have been burying underground sort of to, to get to us and a cast of absolute no-marks mm. peter arne who is like uh, the the baddie in return of the pink panther Do you remember him as the <laughs> and one minor prisoner connection uh, featuring also Earl Cameron. Ah. So he was in it. Yeah. But I I don't know anybody in it. But but as soon as the trailer, you can see there are the uh, stalactites hanging from the ceiling. It's like, ah. So the set was still standing.
0: See, I I often wonder why they they went with this cavern, this cave. Mm. There's a few trains of thought on this. Now, I mean, why isn't it just like... um, you know, some kind of subterranean Bond villain base. Why the cave specifically?
1: Yeah, I mean, it could, it, do, it does feel briefly a little bit Bondian. Mm. The fact that it's it's it feels like a layer mm. in the way that a Bond
0: villain would have a layer Also, because this is allegory, and something that we'll come back to later is, is the allegory of the cave, yes. from Plato's Republic. Because there's a as a lot as we've been talking about over the last uh, couple of days, sharing what we found from the Republic and how it mirrors events in this episode yes. as well. I think there's a lot to be mined quite, from Plato. Quite, quite strongly, actually. Yeah. And obviously we're not going to go all highbrow. We're just going to deliver it in our usual fashion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's Socrates? What, yes so Socrates. <laughs> yeah. we'll, do, we'll do a Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted version. But uh, we meet the Assembly. Hmm. Like they
1: wonderful, isn't it? The mm. uh, it's a sort of a UN of ISTs. Yes. This kind of Soviet. Uh, the ones I've met: identification, defectors, mm. therapy, reactionists, yes. which is great. Nationalists yeah. and rather uh, love youngsters. Yes. Youngsters get a uh, representation, which yeah. is quite nice. They're, they're big into their hooded gowns in the prison, mm-hmm. aren't they? But they're, they're mm-hmm. right at the fore here. But the gowns aren't really as interesting as the uh, the masks.
0: Yes. The masks, to me, and I might be wrong, but look like the ancient Greek drama masks. Mm. Obviously, cut in two, stitched together, <laughs> yeah. so you've got the smiley face, obviously painted black and white. A comedy mask is known as Talia. In Greek mythology, it's the muse of comedy and idyllic poetry. And usually portrayed as a happy, cheerful young woman crowned with ivy. So that's the smiley face. Mm. So then you have the tragedy face, uh, which is known as melpomene who is the muse of tragedy. melpomene is depicted with the tragedy mask in one hand and a knife or club mm. or some kind of cosh in <laughs> the other. So comedy and tragedy, light and dark, which is shown on these yes, masks, yeah. is... Is this the theatre of democracy, the theatre of politics, the theatre of life? Is it linked back to Plato and and the Greeks, because these are Greek masks? Yes, yes. Is it the black and white, is it Janus, the the two-faced god, the Roman god? Is it about the two-facedness of politics? There's so much you can take from this. I
1: kind of, I'm going through all my theories watching this, and I I gave up on myself. Yeah. I thought, well, this could be... I, I think I got to about seven of uh, <laughs> what this means. Yeah. And I thought, well, ugh, I'm just, uh, there's, there's, another, there's another ten in front of me. Mm. I, can't, I can't just keep
0: going on this. Is this not <laughs> – I mean, if, if we, like when we talk about Plato's Cave, we go back to the Republic as well, Plato's Republic. I think this is a, is a nod saying, you know, this is theatre. Mm. You know, is democracy theatre when we're going out to vote and, you know, we have these politicians who basically stand on podiums and deliver all these speeches and people love them. And we see this in free for all. Yes. They tell us what we want to hear. Yeah. There's a theatre in it Mm. that the public buy into, you know, and, and this is you could argue this is why the popular people get voted in. You know, you get a prime minister who's affable and friendly, and you know maybe has some mad hair or whatever, and the people, the people, warm to him yeah. and love him and will vote for him. Yeah, because he's a character. Yeah, because right. he's a character. Yes, yeah. and and using that word in two ways. Yes, yes. There's a very theatrical a bent fi- to a this. Fiction.
1: Yes, absolutely. But yeah.
0: It's, it's infuriating. You
1: know, uh, somebody who's a quiet, competent, very able but sort of self-effacing person yeah. wouldn't stand a chance of becoming prime minister. It's, no. it's absurd, isn't it? Because
0: they need to have this, this kind of identity and uh, theatrical... larger-than-life thing, exactly. which is exactly. usually the sign of a, something not 100% right. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the Assembly and, and the President. Mm. Uh, a lot of people, I, I think outside of the UK, don't appreciate that the, the costume he wears is a, is a traditional British judge yes. outfit. Yes. And A lot of people call him the judge. But he's but he's, he's the type, president, yeah, yeah, he's, he's credited he's as the, the second president. judge we've had after living in harmony.
1: Hmm. so the, he, David Bauer predated this one. Yeah. It was quite surprising
0: Kenneth Griffiths was asked sort of why, why why is he a judge? And I haven't got a clue. <laughs> but <laughs> what does clue, what does a, it, what does that represent in society? If you see a judge, what does that represent? What is the semiotics of a, of a judge? Well, authority,
1: the law, the, yeah. you know, the, the balance, authority. morality.
0: Mm. Well, with some judges.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I suppose it's the end of the line. It, mm. it, it, the buck stops with a judge. Yeah. Uh, well, death it, is the end of the line. and, and There's Judgment Day. There's, I mean, McGoo was quite quick in that In My Mind documentary to say, no, this isn't purgatory. Because mm. a lot of people thought it was about purgatory. Uh, well, Well, that answers my question. Mm. I mean, if. <laughs>
1: Having already established that he'll say anything. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, if he has said it's not purgatory,
0: yeah. then it wasn't. But I mean, the, the imagery is still there. I can, if, you can see why people would think that. But if you're going from these seven ages of man and you take an arrival as childhood, as you're born into this world, fallout is arguably death. It's arguably death and rebirth. Yes. And the cyclical nature of, of life, and the president may be representing Judgment Day. You've been judged on your actions and you've been judged to be worthy as the individual. You then die and then are reborn. Mm. And the whole thing starts again, which, which it does.
1: Yeah, of course we have a rebirth. Mm. And it's quite religious. I mean, it's not so much re- religious iconography or imagery, but certainly the songs. It's yes. full of gospel. And uh, bones. I mean, it, we've talked a lot before about McGowan's religious background mm. and all that. I mean, it's, it sort of comes out here in a way that it hasn't really come come out before. Yeah. And his, his morality. But, yeah, there are specific religious kind of bells being rung yeah. here.
0: By Alexis Inc- <laughs> Including, literally. <laughs> but apparently uh, Fallout was partly inspired by uh, the Samuel Beckett play, uh, Waiting for Godot. Yeah. There's Estragon and... Uh, Vladimir. Vladimir. And, and that whole play is, you know, the title is that you're waiting for somebody to arrive, and the whole thing is about the journey mm. and the people they meet as they're waiting for Godot, who never shows up. There's no payoff. You don't meet Godot. No. You know, and that happens in Fallout. You're waiting for this event, this closure to happen, and it doesn't. But that's not the point. Yeah. It's like life, isn't it? The journey. It's the journey, not the, um, not the destination. And I think that's something that maybe that's the connection with Waiting for Godot. And Magoon would have seen this maybe in you know, uh, theatrical staging of it. It's a famous play, though, wasn't it? It's a, cr- a very famous play. I think it was Be- it's Beckett's probably most famous play. Yes. It was an endgame. And Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen did a, a version of it a couple of years ago, didn't they? They
1: did. Steve Martin and Robin Williams did it in the oh, States. Right? I'd love to Imagine have seen that. that. Yeah. We had Rick Mail and Adrian Emerson. Oh, even better. They did it in
0: 1991. <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding. Uh, and it, it wasn't particularly well received. But, yeah. I mean, it, it, apparently it was... I, I, I know. That's a bit unfair. I think, I mean, they're both fantastic
1: actors. They would, they would have actually been quite perfect for it. Yeah. In a, in a way, Bottom, which kind of sprung out of it, was mm. in, a, in a similar way because they, 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 all they do is filling time. Yes. They put on the play around the same time that Bottom came out. I think maybe because it was such sort of schoolboyish toilet humour, <laughs> yeah. that, that affected the critical response to the, the play. But I know people who saw that and said it was sensational. We saw it at the. Um, the Everyman in Liverpool, because mm. we were doing it for our for A level. Yeah, ah, it was sensational. Nobody famous. Oh, t- Mike from the Young Ones was playing Lucky. Oh, Christopher Ryan. Yeah, he, yeah.
0: Uh, he played Lucky. Nice uh, link there with the Young Ones as well. Indeed, the yeah. Inescapable. Anyway, but that's, yeah, the, no. that's the Young Ones. We're on Fallout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the only link between the only link I can think of. I mean, probably loads of links, but Justine Lord was in an episode of the Young Ones. That's right. Yeah, I think it was the last thing she ever did. Yeah, she played the like a Snow Queen, like The Witch in the Wardrobe. Yeah. character didn't she? And I bet she was asked to do that because of the prisoner. Maybe. I think so. Yeah, I think this, just... this malice, this uh, this maleficent. Well, yeah, character. but she, she would she would have been a. I mean,
1: I, like I said before, I'm madly in love with her. But you, yeah. she would have been a, an, an icon for people who yeah, loved yeah, the, yeah. The, the prisoner. I have a question. Hmm? Do you think they would have laid on this whole ceremony thing if number two had won? No. <laughs>
0: because I think the intention here is 48, 2 and 6 are all facets of the same personality, of the same character. Like Freud's uh, ego, id, superego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this kind of tripartite, <laughs> which is also in Plato's Republic. And I think we'll, we'll come to of that. The and give it a bit more in depth. Yeah, um, the, these elements. So... So two is actually a part of six's personality, his makeup. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't think so. I think six always has to win because six is the super ego. Obviously, as soon as he wins, they, yeah. they trot down there, yeah. and all this has already been laid on. if yeah. What if? What if Liam McKern had managed to trap him in the? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but I love it when they're getting the prizes out. It's not like. You know, three, two, one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> or <a> bullseye. <laughs> this five speed rally racer. Be a man about town in this mini metro. It was all that kind of stuff, wasn't it? Goblin tease made and stuff. But. <laughs> these, all these people live in sort of landlocked counties no. winning a speedboat. Yes. How legacy. am I supposed to do See, this? My theory is that Bowen <laughs> would go to them after the show and go, yeah, all right. Can, uh, you know, do you want to sell that speedboat? I'll give you 200 quid now. So I reckon Bowen went and bought all the speedboats off the contestants who knew they'd never be able to use them. Because like, how do we get this home? Where's the trailer Oh, no, oh, you just they- get the speedboat. Well, they're <laughs> supposed to get it home. Well, that's your problem. Well, well, I'll tell you what, I'll well g- done. I'll give you 200 quid for it if you want. Yeah, all right then. I reckon then Bowen basically stockpiled all the speedboats and set up his own boating business. I reckon he had his own boating business in the Lake District. Do you know that Janice Long yeah. won a
1: silver tea service, an entire sort of dinner service? Yeah. On three, two, one, Did she? and sold it. Yeah, uh, and with the money she made off that, she uh, and her husband bought uh, put a down
0: payment on a house. Wow! But going back to Paul, follow- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> going back to Paul. Um, one thing I noticed when they step inside the cave, do you see? There's a, um, a man in a top hat. You know, this like we've established the establishment types: the top hat, the black, yes. like the, the morning suit, the uh, funeral suit, flanked by guards. Did you notice that? No, I didn't. On the, on the right of camera, you just see this one man, establishment figure, top hat, walking, flanked by about, I don't know, quite a few guards around him. Is that with that fantastic sort of zoom shot into, yeah. into McGowan's face? Yeah, and that, that kind of long... It's yeah. almost like a dolly zoom, isn't it's it? It's the establishment shot, of the, one of the establishment shots of the cavern, isn't it? Yeah. But I thought, why? because that's obviously been choreographed. Mm. We've got one person, top hat, and we want the guards flanked around. Does that represent anything? Is that just something throwaway? Is that like an establishment? we talked about how, you know, modern-day people with power like kings and queens got to that point, you know, through the feudal system and things like that. You know, whoever had the biggest clubs, whoever had the biggest, (laughs) largest amount of friends saying, I'm king, give us your money, you know, and it's grown from that. And I wonder if that's like an establishment figure protecting themselves of having this flanking of, of, of the military. Yeah. You know, as as is the case.
1: I suspect everything in this episode, just absolutely everything, had mm. some sort of point. But it's overkill for one man.
0: <laughs> you yeah. Know, like, uh- well, it was, yeah, it was, it was such, such an amazing <laughs> point that I didn't notice it at all. Well, I never <laughs> noticed it before until this episode, but it's it's just on screen for a couple of seconds. Yeah. But um, next time you watch it, just watch out for that. It's It may be nothing to it. I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to watching it again after this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I watched it again last night, actually. After I've made all my notes. But uh, yeah there's a, a 23 second single take as number 6 walks through the cavern. Yeah. Which is quite a long time to have as it's an a, uninterrupted yeah. single take. Broken only when like Sonic takes his place at um, the identification. Yes. Chair. But did you notice be- what was behind him? No. Security. Uh what what was he? What was No, p- there was nobody sat at security. Oh. Uh. <laughs> So, why not? Could, Does, that been, could that have been Rover? No, I'm, I'm going more along the lines of it's, it's now he has his identification back. He's got his sense of self back. He still hasn't got his sense of security back. I don't know. I don't no, know if that's the case. It's, it's but, or maybe the NGC. actor was late. <laughs> <laughs> Hiya, I'm here for. Uh... Maybe, maybe that was a guy in the top hat. <laughs> I no, mean, it was a guy from the computer operator thing, isn't it? It's, uh, it's Miriam. Because, I mean, we're assuming they're all men, which we shouldn't.
1: I mean, they probably were in 1967.
0: I, I, I don't know. I, well,
1: yeah, in fairness, yeah.
0: But, I mean, if these are all facets of number six's psychological makeup, then they're all going to be men, aren't they, really, yeah. if you think about it? But we should never assume, you know. It could have been female actresses. It's of like, course, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: they're all masters of, yeah. Yeah. The only one you can tell definitely is a guy's... Uh, Michael Miller. Yeah, because of his colossal beard. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: But, yeah, I've always wondered, yeah, because security is missing, does he not have his sense of security? Has it not been returned to him at this point? That's a lovely touch. Yeah. And it, it's, it's very subtle, but it's, it's actually, ooh. But this is what I struggle with with The Prisoner. I mean, it was made in a time where we had no video recorders. If you missed it, if you that missed it. that second, gone. Yeah. It was designed for rewatching like any good piece of art, like an album or a, a, a painting, it's designed like a piece of art. You can go back and appreciate facets of it that you may not have appreciated on the first. So I've seen the, the Mona Lisa for five seconds and have yeah. never seen it again. You'd like, oh, I need to go back. I need to see this. You'd have to wait for the repeats.
1: What was the, na- what was the nature of syndication by this point? In terms of, would it have oh, yeah, the, thought, well, this is going to be on about four or five times. Well, they shot it, well, as we know, they shot it on 35mm. Yeah, so it can be wiped, like no, a lot of yes, like yeah, early Avengers yeah, episodes. Yeah.
0: But I think is that intentional? Did McGowan think, yes, this is a piece of art that's going to last, so I want this to be on thirty-five mil. I want it in color. I want it future-proofed. Yeah, you see where I'm going with this?
1: Yeah, it's hard. You kind of you've got to go back to what was what existed at the time, or maybe what he mm. hoped would exist at the time. But there was. There were no. I mean, there was no. Nobody had videos no. back then. I mean, I'm well, B B C possibly, and, but possibly homes. may have existed, but certainly not at home. Yeah. I mean, did the 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 reevaluation of the prisoner take place simply because of video allowed people to watch something like this over and over again? It's in possible, the
0: 80s? isn't it? I mean, it, at the time, I think that home video recorders were available, but super expensive. Yes. Super expensive, and outside the, the and they know, always got burgled. Yes. <laughs> Focus of video style. Two two burglars. A yeah. it. <laughs> and it this yeah. thing through the window. But it, but but it's such forward thinking. By mm. Magoo and I'm just going to shoot this on co- in color on 35 mil. I'm going to make it like a feature film because you know the people, are, the general public, are only really going to watch it once, and maybe on repeats when it's on again.
1: Yeah, but I mean, what so I mean, did in this, when people only got a chance to watch this, mm. well, that's that's that then.
0: Yeah. But, but
1: you, it, was, it, it, took, it took until people could watch it over and over again, and yeah. study a little bit, that people started to go, oh, my God, do you remember that thing that with the switchboard? Yeah. The, yeah, there was a ball, but then it went weird, weird,
0: and we've forgotten about it now. He's in Colombo now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I watched an episode of Randall and Hopkirk over the weekend, and it was one with George Sewell in. Yeah. And he's, in the episode, he escapes from prison to, to get his revenge on Marty Hopkirk, who, put him in prison and he jumps over the wall and the wall is clearly a flat that's been painted (laughs) because it just wobbles like (laughs) kind of thing and you're like oh that's hilarious a you wouldn't have noticed it in black and white in 1969 1970 anyway but it was designed really only to be watched once and that goes back to what Darren Nesbitt said about Doctor Who yeah it's a children's show Nobody cared. It was like, yeah, we'll just wipe these tapes and, if mean, I'm lucky nobody will realise I'm in it. Yes, yes. He, he wasn't, <laughs> None of my fellow he wasn't that key, was he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's... Um, the, the time was basically these just throw away, th- throw away content. You'd watch it once and move on. Mm. But I think Magoo had the prescience to say, actually... This, this is going yeah, to last. Yeah. I want this to last. I want this to be seen again. Now we come to the president's speech.
1: Yes. Revolution. What? Yes. Which he says with a strange amount of glee.
0: Yes. He's like, I love revolution. Another line he says, the regrettable bullet. Hmm. He has a couple of little bits. What he do you says. think regrettable bullet means,
1: though? Yes, we draw your attention to the regrettable bullet. The community is at stake and we have the means to protect it. The assembly is now in security interestingly, since mm. uh, there isn't actually one.
0: Well, some people think the regrettable bullet alludes to uh, nuclear, well, the rocket as mm. a nuclear warhead, whether or not, of course it is or not, is academic really. But if, if you are going to make a, a ballistic missile, you're not going to put quarters in for people to <laughs> stand around and put globes and, <laughs> you know, wear it, monkey masks in, <laughs> are you? It's the head, it's the warhead. Is the, the, the rocket is just a propulsion method. Yes, so, I don't know, maybe Had, regrettable it is the, the launch, is the nuclear warhead, or if it's a nuclear warhead, or is it more of a symbolic thing? You know, this regrettable bullet, this regrettable end, this means to, to stop to, uh, and to move this on, maybe. It's just an incredibly odd turn of phrase, the regrettable bullet. But do you think, I mean, the thing is, Griffith wrote this, not McGowan. Yes. So, should we analyse this? To in the same extent? Yeah, it's a, it's a separate voice coming into it. Exactly. But I think McGowan and Griffith were on the same wavelength. I, I, think, I think they were very much um, simpatico. So there could be things to be mined from it.
1: I mean, I mean when he says later on, he survived the ultimate test. then he must no longer be referred to as number six or a number of any kind. He has gloriously vindicated the right of the individual to be individual. And this assembly rises to you, sir. Hmm. Uh, I mean, that's... That's kind of prisoner. That's what a lot of people just understand the prisoner show to be mm. all about. It's all about the individual versus the the state. Yeah. So that's Kenneth Griffith going. I think. Well, yeah, I think this is about this. Yeah. But everything else, he sort of just sort of lurches and goes to different topics. And I mean, it's it's what I mean. It's, it's quite
0: it's wonderful stuff. Yeah. But I'm wondering. I'm wondering if this. I mean, because the, obviously the rocket launch at the end of the episode mm. is from the Blue Streak rocket. Is that alluding to self destruction? You know, again, so far with technology, we can create warheads, we can create nuclear weapons. Mm. We still don't have the maturity to use them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose we'll have to wait till we get to the the end of the episode before we talk about it. But what happens to the rocket stroke nuclear weapon? Mm.
0: What I'm talking about is if you've got a society that can create a weapon of such power, why isn't it used for altruistic purposes? But why is it turned into a weapon, weaponized?
1: That's almost everything is, isn't it?
0: Mm. But you... I think – I'm wondering if that's, again, with the penny farthing about progress, that we're moving too fast and not having the maturity and ability to cope with things, that we have the ability to split the atom. Yeah. We're not using that for positive reasons. I mean, we may create nuclear power plants and things, but we're we also using it as a weapon. Yes, and a, and a kind of weapon that could
1: – Wipe out. A, that could kill us all. Yeah. What, a, what an odd thing to have invented Yeah, as a species – I know a, a, a possible way to wipe ourselves out. Yeah, we didn't have to. <laughs> do you know
0: what I mean? It's yeah. exactly that. It's they've got the, the ability to do this. What we're going to do? We're going to travel the stars and, and make all these connections and put all our petty cobbles behind us and concentrate on the bigger picture, or or just wipe each other out. Yeah, I've got. Or well, plan B. Yeah, <laughs> thermonuclear war. Yeah, I mean it, fallout.
1: I, yeah, that's what I mean. It's, that, there's, there's got to be something. I, I think to, to have the title. Mm. It's got to be something that, and of course, it, back then it was such a big threat. Mm. We're only about five years away from. Well, let me be specific well, yeah, about the this. Keeping Cuban, Cuban Missile, missile Crisis from, yeah. was
0: sixty-two. I think um, just before Kennedy was killed, wasn't it?
1: Yes, I remember talking to my parents about this. They were genuinely think they genuinely thought we, we could mm. this could be it. My mum saying she was just lying in a in a, in a park by a trail, saying just looking up and thinking she could see a a missile going yeah. over. And it's so like this is they genuinely thought this could be the end. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's it would have been in everybody's mind. And I then don't he, think you can have a scene like this where you've got a colossal missile in the middle of the room yeah.
0: and not think it's informed by that. I mean, you could argue it's a Chekhov's gun, but just on a massive <laughs> scale, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the line that Anton Chekhov said? If you're going to have a gun on stage, make sure that you use yes. it. Make sure that it goes off. It's a, yes. It's a yes, yes, so Chekhov's gun to the nth degree, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but this happened again in the 80s, didn't it? And then we had dramas like Threads came out of God, this. Yes. This threat of nuclear annihilation. So, you know, and, and recently, with, in Russia, with uh, Putin, you know, yeah, saying there'll just, be consequences if certain things happen. This threat of nuclear annihilation.
1: Yes. It's just so b- destroyingly depressing, isn't it? Yeah. That, that all the things we could do, Almost the first, If you invent anything, the first thing that anyone thinks of is how can we weaponize this? Exactly, exactly. Even like COVID, that we were talking about, sort of yeah. a, ooh, biological warfare. This could be next. This could be great. So why, why, on Earth aren't you? Aren't we thinking? I've found
0: a way to uh, to heat all the homes in the entire world on yeah. a, uh, a teaspoonful of water. I mean, there was. I mean, Jonas Salk came up with the cure for polio. Instead of making tons of money off it, he gave it away free for humanity to use. Yes. We need more people like Joan Salk. Quite right. But we don't have them. We have people who <laughs> utilize their inventions or discoveries for monetary gain, and usually the military will weaponize these things.
1: Yes. Or Tim Berners Lee, I suppose. He's. I think he gets a couple of quid a year for inventing the internet.
0: Well, no, he didn't invent the internet. He, let's, let's, let's be specific. He, no, no, no. Because our of... American listeners will be like, "Hey, know, hey, limies, <laughs> what are you talking?" About? It'll be no. He he invented the World Wide Web. Yeah, the hyper the hypertext transfer protocol that sits on the internet, which is why a lot of Americans were confused when they saw the um, Olympic Games back in, you remember when, the, when London hosted? Yeah. And that house, they had this house and it removed and there was Tim Berners-Lee and it said father of the internet or father of the World Wide web. And all these Americans say, saying, who's this guy? Why is he claiming to have invented <laughs> what we invented? <laughs> so, yeah, very much an American invention, but he created the, the means to accessible transport or travel on the internet. Yes. But everyone uses the term synonymously, don't they? Again, going back to words and the, and the power of words and, and meanings of words. Is, is something that The Prisoner utilises extremely well. But then he's given The Chair of Honour. Yes, which Love is it. nice. For He's a Jolly Good Fellow.
1: Yes, which pops up... Is it the first episode? You know, one of uh, the the musical...
0: It pops up all the way through The Prisoner, as, yeah, um, it, without the lyrics.
1: Of, and then it's sort of a, a kind of... An off note mm. at, at the end of it, yes. so it gets
0: a little bit more sinister, and
1: ding, ding, ding,
0: yeah. all the way through it. So yes, it's almost like his his personal theme. There's lots of, I mean, Catherine McGowan said this. She said that the use of nursery rhymes and um, these 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 melodies it was very much him. Mm. So uh, she doesn't really expand on that, but that's something linked to McGowan himself.
1: Childish nursery rhymes, with Patrick McGowan is Very strange. I don't, it yeah. doesn't seem to.
0: The connection there is. Maybe he was very fond of singing these little ditties to his children or maybe there was something he would, he would utilise around the house. Who knows? Yeah, possibly. Maybe it was a little, um, a little nod to his children.
1: They would have been very mm. young back then, wouldn't they? But
0: Catherine McGowan specifically states in that in interview with Chris Rodley yeah. that that was very him. Yeah. But we know there is a personal link to the, the use of these songs. So, this is what I was talking about before, about how well this is edited. Yeah. This is really odd, the time it takes for the trailer to descend. <laughs> it's almost uncomfortably long.
1: Yes. And it's the same as the time of the, uh, the door takes to shut. Mm. It's like, come on.
0: <laughs> but I wonder, you know, are, they, are they trying to fill time, so let's just ex- extend this scene, or is that intentional? To just, like, keep the audience waiting a bit longer? Who I I don't know. It just feels a bit off, the timing. Because this is a well-edited show all the way through. Yeah. And people like Dave Barry are saying, you know, how tightly edited it was, the rapidity of cuts and things like that. People had never seen this style of TV show before. No. And to have something like that is just quite odd.
1: Yeah. I mean, the big big reveal scene Mm. with number one, and you kind of think how... How quick that all... Quick! Yeah. Fifty-two seconds—the yeah. entire thing. Yeah. And it's like what the earth? And then the, the, I mean, that, the science—seventeen episodes have been building towards this thing, mm-hmm. and then it's just kind the most
0: frenetically edited moment. And then clunk. Yeah, but in in once upon a time, when that door slams, it's on a hinge at the top. Yeah. Yeah. But when it comes down, it opens almost like cattle truck doors, isn't it? Yeah. i like, what? Make your mind up. But of course, it allows us to have the return of Leon McKern. Indeed, indeed. We have to explain a little bit about the, uh,
1: <laughs> the, the, the the hose. I think most people already know now, though, don't they? Yeah. That, I mean, if you've if you've got this far on a podcast, you've seen this and you know <laughs> yeah. it was this, eight months. This episode was eight months later. McKern had already done something else. Oh my! You don't look. Right, we're once gonna have to upon time, time up. was
0: like production order six, wasn't it? Yeah, which is still baffling to and me. And this is production number 17, yeah. eight months later. And, of course, at the time, McKern had shaved his hair off and yes. got rid of the beard because his play Volponi had finished and he was moving on to other projects. In fact, the moustache he has in this was, uh, was fake. It's fake, yes. Yeah. Which Do you know I'm the just... story about this? Now? No. <laughs> <laughs> so the continuity lady was was shooting the scene and, you know, the yell action and McKern just walks forward and she realises uh, that there's somebody standing there with a the moustache going, I've got his moustache. She hadn't even noticed. That's her job. So she was a bit mortified. She says she slunk back into the. <laughs> I just love the fact that somebody stood there with a moustache on their hand. Uh, Liam, 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 moustache.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Whoa. And the uh, the footage as well. Mm. It was interesting watching it on DVD because I, when I saw it, you know the the shots. Uh, the when yeah, it goes yeah, in. Yeah. That that signified the first ad break.
0: Yes, it does and it's obvious, isn't it?
1: Yeah yeah. You can
0: hear it, can't you? Dun, dun, dun. About, yeah.
1: <laughs> and those are bits from the general.
0: Yes. It's the speed learn. Yes. It's repurposed, doesn't it? I only realised that when I suddenly realized I
1: knew everything there was to know about the Battle of the River Plate. <laughs> yeah. Thirteenth of December nineteen thirty nine.
0: But this, um, we return to this uh, hairdresser's technology as well, don't we? Which obviously fits in with the this. Yes. With a highly unconvincing wig as yeah. well. It's almost like they've got a Dalek in there as well with this.
1: It's brilliant shaving technology. Yeah. Well, what on earth is inside that massive suction... <laughs>
0: Maybe it's Veet. <laughs> that's all it is. There's no myth to it. It's just <laughs> hair <laughs> remover cream but it's cleverly done so it just covers the fact that there's no beard It was quite an anyway. interesting sort of but prob- a problem solution wasn't it yeah. it's like oh god Leo forgot his bloody hair Yeah I, was, I think that's just problem solving but it's quite clever it's, It is quite, it's quite clever, clever it's sci-fi, quite, sci-fi quite, quite, problem solving Quite memorable as well What do we do to bring someone back from the dead give him a haircut Well first of all yes <laughs> And Remember, a shave Remove that awful straggly beard of his Do you notice they coloured McKern's hair as well He's like an oburn like
1: Paul McCartney post yes. Heather Mills oburn Yes. Which I think is the full title. That's a yeah. pharaoh
0: and ball painting. It's the way you well. want to dye your hair, but you don't want it to make it look too obvious. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, which th- I've got a theory about that, but I'll, I'll come back to that afterwards. Right. Then we have the three specific instances, don't we, in terms of I, we have the three characters now set up. Yes. So McCurn's returned. We have number 48. Canna. Canna, who's obviously youth. We've got number two, who's authority. Yes. Or, or, uh, authority, who's revolted. But you've also got this language thing as well. The youth and pop culture references. That canner delivers. Yes. Dead. Yeah. Trip. Hip. Yeah. You know, it was hip. It was a term for being cool or hip, man. It still is, dude. Yeah. But that leads nicely into dem bones, though, doesn't it? Yeah. The use of words or the double meaning of words. But I love the fact that Dembones, when he starts to sing, it creates this chaos amongst the assembly. So I see, we talked about this before, about the village being like a gestalt entity. I see the assembly as a gestalt entity. It's that this is appealing to that area, this, this like with Freud with the id, it's so like, just as a basic explanation, it's like any, uh, actions without consequence, like a child. Yeah. You know, youth is a child. It basically wants everything now and wants everything on their terms and revolts because it must, mm. but it does not know why or words to that effect. It starts singing this song, the music is communication, creating revolt amongst the assembly. And they all start to get into it, don't they? All yes. start to kind of uh, <laughs> give him a jig. Yeah, with Kenneth Griffiths, it's like, he it just seems so impatient. Because they're all facets, of the, arguably all facets of the same personality, of the same person. Yeah. Which is now, we can't call him six anymore, call him P <laughs> or sir. Or prisoner. Yeah, but what does P stand for? Patrick. Or prisoner. Yes. Or Patrick.
1: Well, at the end, of course, that's, that's his title. Yeah, prisoner. Yeah, Alexis Canna, Angelo Mascat, Prisoner. prisoner. <laughs> I think th- th- this whole scene it can only work as an allegory. I think mm. this can't even be interpreted as plot.
0: No, absolutely it makes not.
1: Absolutely zero
0: sense. And once you've got past that, once you've, you've got to watch this as allegory, it makes far more sense. Yeah, uh, but a lot of people get angry, and you see this in, in internet notice boards. Oh, and I think a lot of people who've, who've gone with the prisoner as a spy espionage thriller. Yeah, struggle or ignore these parts of the allegory. But when it goes full allegory, they can't the, the, process well, this. There's, there's nothing for any Danger Man fans to, to hang on to here. No. Nothing. You might as well just watch Many Happy Returns as a final episode and just turn it off before he <laughs> gets in the, the play He did escape. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? But, yeah, it's, it's – and I think that's why people got angry. I think they just weren't – at that point, aware of what television could do, mm. it could make you think. It could make you feel, but now it could make you think.
1: Yeah. And I, th- I think there was a certain part of McGuin that actually wanted to get people angry and mm. um, deliberately because that was the reaction. Mm. Uh, he did, what he didn't want was just this passive kind of TV washing over people. Yes. And there's no, um, there's no reaction at all. Even if it's if it's people are delighted or when people are enraged, either either way, it's a win. Yeah, because
0: you're engaging with it and it's and it's making it's it's done something to you. Well, it's a quote McGoohan gave to the Observer in 1991? If I gave all the answers, you would no longer have a role when watching it. Yeah, which ties in exactly with that.
1: Yeah, but I mean, in in a way, you can say that what we're doing here in terms of trying to process the allegory. It, it, it's anyone could come up with with. Uh, an allegory mm. uh, for, uh, or, or an interpretation for this, and th- they'll be just as right as we are.
0: Yes, yeah. I don't,
1: I don't think there's any. There's. Uh, it makes it a little bit complicated, but there's no right or wrong
0: way no. to, to. I mean, we've. Unless to... you're watching it as a spy thriller, because <laughs> yeah, then it's just yeah. <laughs> you can't watch Fallout really. No, because um, it won't make sense to you. No, it's. It, it, I, I struggled
1: a bit with this when I was a kid. The counterparts. Mainly because even as a kid, when I was young and he was representing me, I mm. still thought he was a bit, a bit of a knob. Yeah,
0: <laughs> just why just makes sense, man. Yeah. That's, that's put that bell away. But the whole point of him not making sense, I think, is key to it. Oh, exactly. It's but lack even, uh, of communication between generations.
1: As as a kid, I was kind of with
0: the president uh, <laughs> yeah. and with the assembly. I was
1: with them. I was. I shared their impatience <laughs> at this guy, and there was there was something a little bit. Uh, sats about the sixtiesness of his. I mean, he, he he bought all that stuff himself, yeah, literally from Carnaby Street. Yeah. He couldn't be any more any <laughs> more sixties
0: um, or sixty-seven than that.
1: Yeah, and he also seemed a little bit too old hmm. in a, in a way that, as a kid, you're kind of thinking, <laughs> you're not
0: young. Yeah, like uh, one of these thirty-year-olds playing a high school kid in American Charms. <laughs> <genre, is it? laughs> but I know what you mean. But I think Canada's got the charisma. I think he's got. He, he can pull that that part off anyway.
1: Yeah, he's got, he has just this extraordinary sort of pantomimic quality to Mm. him. It's a bit like Robert Helpman in um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That Mm. sort of, the way he moves is... is, There's a sleekness to it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him in a a few things. He was in a thing with Roger Moore called Cross Plot, Mm. which I think was Roger Moore's first post-Saint film. Mm. I know that was about 68, so it would have been maybe the first or the last thing Mm. he did. But... It's hard to picture him in anything. He, he couldn't play straight. Yeah. He
0: couldn't just sort of play man in room. Well, he was, he was quite a, a familiar face in, in Britain at the time because he he'd been in Softly Softly. He became enormously popular mm. to the point where when they took him out.
1: The whole series collapsed. No one wanted, wanted to watch anymore. Yeah.
0: What I quite like about
1: this is, is you've got these
0: facets, arguably, and he actually does make quite a good young Patrick McGowan. And maybe mm. that's why they got on. Maybe McGowan saw a lot of himself in Canner. Yeah. Because there was an age difference. So he probably saw a lot of his younger self, this fire within him. He and he says about youth rebelling, doesn't he, the president?
1: Yeah, I think it's 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 almost the rebellion part of it's more important than the youth. Mm. That I think that's what he represents I mean I suppose youth and rebellion, but it's mm. more what he's doing with this with the nonsense nonsensical talking and the running around and mm. sort of
0: that's rebellion. Yeah. But youth, like, like President says, youth rebels. Sometimes it has no filter, but nor does it have the weight of experience mm. or has that apathy with the world that we have. We were Canna at one point, but now we're probably more like McKern. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We're looking back at, at how we were and maybe embarrassed about how we behave. Like you talked about your six-form poetry. Shh. <laughs> you know, And then you've got people like today, you've got people like Greta Thunberg, who a lot what of old people kind of despise. <laughs> but what she's actually saying, whether you agree with it or not, is, is done with altruistic intentions. Yes, yes. You course. know, and yeah, you, you might dismiss her as being young and inexperienced or doesn't see the world as it truly is because she's not old enough. But does it really matter? Because what she's saying is actually altruistic. Robert yeah, well, look, at, look at what the, the older people are doing. Yeah. I love that moment where Magooan looks at Canna Yeah, and he says, young man. Yeah. And when he says man, he reacts. Yeah. And I see that as confirmation of, of a man rather than a child. Yes. He's been given respect. He's been given a title. He's been given something from his elders. And he instantly makes that connection with number six or sir. That's how I see it. There's a, there's a couple of
1: like lovely looks between them mm. in the health and there's a little little wink of acknowledgement. Yeah, just a nice sort of touch going on. What does he say? Sort of. Uh, well, he
0: says when the president says,
1: "Don't mention it, Dad." It's it's interesting how little the prisoner does. Mm. I actually did, I started off by actually counting down uh, number six's words. Yeah, the dialogue is very light for very very for, for the, the first prisoner, yeah. half, and then of course when he does his, his speech, you know, yeah. sort of, and he's doing a bit more. But yeah. I suddenly thought. This is interesting. He's written the final episode of his opus and he's, he's barely, he's
0: just sat in a chair. But if these are all facets of his personality, mm. if this is the tripartite from Plato's Republic, if this is the ego, super ego, you know, he doesn't have to speak no. because he's letting these elements of his personality, of his core being, speak for him. Yes. He's giving a, them an airing.
1: But in a way, even though as much as he's, uh, it's, it's not put that way, he's still in a way on trial. Mm. He's
0: facing a judge. But who's, who's judging him? Is the president a facet of, of number six's personality, or does the president represent society? We yeah. need you. We need an individual to show us the way, to, to lead us. Yeah. To lead us out of the cave. Do you know what this reminds me of? Mm. It's only just occurred to me.
1: The last track on the wall. Yes. When he's basically up against... He's, the he, trial. The trial. Mm. He's actually... Basically, his his crime, his, his, his sentence is to be exposed mm for who he truly is but he's facing this uh, and, then, and then he gets his his, his mother t- and the teacher uh, and it, but he, these are all facets of his past mm. and then at the end it's kind of the wall comes down it's like this is your you're exposed to the world and it's a little bit like this so yeah. you're at the, all, all the the youth his rebellion the the authority of even 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 the butler
0: that's a fantastic reading actually i never considered the link between the wall and the prisoner, but there's clear connections there. Exactly. Absolutely, because it's, men- it's all internal, isn't it? Exactly, and the same way this is. Listeners,
1: that was my theory. Uh, I have another theory, but the, <laughs> <coughs> the uh...
0: <laughs> There is, I mean, I know we weren't going to say, we were going to talk about drugs. Okay. And LSD and all the trips, man. But there is a line in there where the president says to 48, now you're high. Yes. And then he says, I'm low. Double meaning, maybe? I sh- Counterculture kind of reference, just kind of crowbarred
1: in a little bit. It, it could have been. I'm saying this with no authority whatsoever, mm. but just from all the things I've read about McGowan, I think drugs in, it in particular was something he would have had just a, nothing but a contempt and loathing for. Yeah. I don't think no, he would I agree, have, I agree. I don't think he would have been interested.
0: I think it's a wordplay. I just think it's a double meaning. I think it's there as... as he's just been belligerently sort of saying yeah. the opposite of what the, judge, uh, the president's saying. Yeah. Because he's got that recognition, acceptance from number six, you're high. You're now high, you're elevated. Mm. But he feels low. He feels, I still feel... Yeah, Less than.
1: But not all that speech with the back and forth with the president. I just mm. kind of think he's just deliberately just saying the opposite just to infuriate him yeah, wind him up.
0: I, I put that down to the miscommunication between adults and youth. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of miscommunication. You know, the terminology he's using now, you're hip. Hip, Dad, hip. You know, which is very 60s, isn't which it? Is what, but, that's how a 40-year-old man would have written a young person. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Friend. It's like a teacher going in down with the kids, isn't it? <laughs> Hi, TikTokers, let's get some neck <laughs> nominations and do the Harlem Shake. And all these kids like looking at them going, what? It's a bit like, it's like uh,
1: Nadine Doris
0: <laughs> did that thing recently. When she was,
1: what she was saying so oh, yeah, young people, they like to downstream movies. Downstream, so, yeah. Don't, <laughs> it's like, oh,
0: don't. Careful, we might get sold off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, bazinga! So it's interesting. Mm. Who um, the his accuser in mm. the assembly, uh, number 48's accuser, mm. is the anarchist. I know. Yes.
0: I said, Hang on. What's, what's your beef? It, it, it highlights hypocrisy. Yeah. Within yes. society, is that we, we put, a, put people on pedestals. We put people who we, we trust to be these leaders. And they make the same mistakes or they make these hypocritical comments and judgments. I do. I,
1: I wonder what Magoon was, because obviously he, he, this is, he's written this. Mm. But I wonder where his his sympathies lie a little bit. I don't think he's, it's, it's not like he's just being a belligerent voice of oppression. Mm. He's making salient points. Yeah. Uh, and also for all his kind of running around and jumping everywhere, and, and, number 48 doesn't really achieve anything. No. He's talking nonsense, so nobody can understand a word he's saying.
0: But isn't that like a child?
1: Yeah, I know. But um, you, you kind of the uh, well, first time I watched it, I kind of thought, well, yeah, this is they're two pals basically, mm. and he's he's um, he the prisoner approves of his his act of rebellion.
2: Mm.
1: But I wonder if he sort. Of, I wonder if he does because he, he 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 starts the scene tied to a post. He ends the scene tied to a post. Mm. He's not done anything, and he's not he's, he's not actually achieved anything. Yeah. I wonder mean, if uh, again, just looking for looking for statements possibly Well
0: I suppose it's like, like these facets of our personality, especially when we get drunk and our inhibitions go, we keep that in check. Mm. We keep that locked away. When we're sober, you might do something silly or say something you would never normally say in a different state of mind. Yeah. So you keep those facets of your personality locked away. It's like behave- how you behave with different people. You know, you you find that – I think you find that if you're with one group of friends, you might behave in a certain way. With another group of friends, you might behave totally differently. Mm. I've seen that quite a lot in my life. I've had to kind of change the way I deal with people. Who I am in the classroom, who I am at home, who I am with friends are all different variations. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. But we keep them in check. I wouldn't behave – you know, like I do with my friends in front of you know my superiors at work because that would be inappropriate, so I have to keep that in check, yeah, just just one that's just one reading of it, I suppose,'m not saying it's correct I'm just no no, I think I think this is rather rather wonderfully we've established
1: that there is no uh, yeah yes yeah. yes or no answer gives us this. tremendous freedom exactly
0: <laughs> I think it's all about yes.
1: Lolita, the book by Nabokov. Oh, of course.
0: (laughs) No idea. I have no idea. The Dry Bone Song. I like to think this is the power of music as communication. Yes. Rather than words and and different meanings that can be assigned to a word or to a phrase. Yeah. Uh, Welcome. Well, you know, and and different meanings. Fall out. Fall out out of love with someone. Fall out in, in terms of you've fallen out with them in, you know, in a friendship kind of way. You know, there's different connotations we work with music. There isn't, unless you read the lyrics. Music is a universal language. Yes, it's a, it's a sort of binding
1: thing, isn't it? Yeah. This episode is very music heavy. It is. There's a lot of quite familiar chapel
0: recordings. There's like almost like a piece of. It sounds a bit like uh, Bach's Toccata, doesn't it? When, when you see the, it's like duh, 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 When yeah, you see yes. the, and there's also oh, a little bit that's reminiscent of Pachelbel's Canon when he's coming up the staircase. With the butler going to meet number one, sounds a little bit like Pasha Bell's Canon. And, of course, that's a, a cyclical piece of music. It repeats, doesn't it? Ah. Uh, like the structure of prison. I don't know if it is. It just sounds like it to me. And, of course, you've got the contrapuntal use of uh, All You Need Is Love playing over the violent revolt.
1: Yeah, one of them. I, I think it's called September September Song, yeah. That's such a Beatles-y yes. uh, piano. It's a very Summer of Love song, isn't it? Uh, da, 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 da. And it's uh, the whole episode. It almost plays like a like a music video. Yeah, in some way. Yeah, it's due crazy. to lack of
0: dialogue from yeah, it's number it's, six. It's,
1: for that reason, you have to assume that music deliberately is playing a huge part in this. Yes,
0: and some lovely pieces of music within it, mm. from the opening theme to the September song to All You Need Is Love, which I we're going to get our money's worth. <laughs> but that's lovely. It's 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 almost like when Alex Delarge in Clockwork Orange is violently assaulting. And singing, singing in the rain. Yes. You know, it's this piece of music. hated. Hated. (laughs) Yes. Didn't he blank uh, McDowell at a party, didn't he? Yes. He wasn't annoyed at McDowell. He was annoyed at Kubrick. Mm. Because he changed, but this is obviously going back to contrapuntal, is changing someone's perception of a piece of music or Mm. using it out of context. So a piece of music like All You Need Is Love with all its altruistic and benevolent kind of message, He actually (laughs) shooting people (laughs) (laughs) and killing them. So there's an irony there as well, but that song "Dem Bones." I mean, a lot of people, obviously the Ezekiel, the Bible side. Personally, what's your take on "Dem Bones"? Why do you think that that piece of music is used? Um, well, I think
1: McGuinn has actually stated that it was there's a, there's a religious reason. Mm. I think, to be honest, it would have been just going through his mind as he was writing it. Mm. It's kind of I'm trying to picture him what he was like writing this over 36 mm. straight hours with just a couple of glasses of scotch and a yeah. sandwich. And it's kind of almost the first thing that comes into his mind. Yeah. He writes down. Yeah, He's not going to start sort of... Uh, he's on this. <laughs> yeah, he's, on this there. <laughs> yeah. he's basically just emptying his brain in, mm. into a typewriter. Um, and, and he was probably of, of a mind to think, well, there's a reason I must have come up with that. Mm. No, I'm going to leave that in. I think Rick Davey mentioned something about this on on one of the um, subtitles, that it was a deliberate attempt to sort of introduce uh, his religious background. Mm. Yeah, on on the quiet. Mm. But it's a a strange song to sort of get everybody.
2: You see, I I don't know. Having.
0: having, McGuinn was a Roman Catholic. Yeah. And even though I'm not Roman Catholic, I went to a Roman Catholic school. Mm. And I don't remember ever hearing. Uh, this song, "Dem Bones. Even sang in a traditional folklore sense.
1: Maybe it would have been more... Well, this is not a Catholic song, is it? More of a a Baptist.
0: Yeah, there's a gospel feel to it, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. But that's not Catholicism. No, no. So I don't know. I think think it works... If you take the religious element out, I think the fact that, you you know, the the individual, the person, you and me, is comprised of 200 bones or something like that. All those bones together... Create a skeleton. Create one thing that works together in synchronicity mm. in order to to succeed. Is the message there that if we work together as one, as the you know, as the individual bones becoming the skeleton, becoming a, a, a unit rather than a fragmented society full of differing elements that are not working together?
1: Yeah. It oh, could be. It's always intriguing the way it sort of ends with Canna just sort of being isolating, I hear the
0: word mm. of the Lord. Yeah. But that, I think that's more of a theatrical element to it, though, isn't it? Just giving it that punctuation. Yeah. At the end of that song. <laughs> but it's it's great how... Bell. But it, again, the assembly, if we're to read the mass facets of, of a singular personality, is they're all dancing on. They're not balking at it. They're yeah. like...
1: <gasps> they're clapping. Badly. They're clapping
0: away and they're dancing around because they are now youth at that time. They're representing youth's side, Six is youth id. If you see what I mean, go back yes. to that like gestalt kind of.
1: But it's also, I mean, it's if, if you th- if you take away the, the song's lyrics, it's mm. it's almost like the the construction of a person. Yes, the way it's the way the lyrics. Well, you got this bone, and then it's connected. You're actually that's literally what the song's yeah. all about, isn't it? Everything's I connected. connected to it so everything, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's 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 actually the the song describes the building of a human skeleton in yeah. a way. Yeah. So you're, this is about building a person. Mm-hmm. How is that reflecting in, in
0: terms of what's going on psychologically? But the canner also states, or 48 also states, they came from you, my daddy. Yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, I, Is he acting drunk then? I don't know. No, no, I, I choose to see that as youth is a product of society. Youth is a product of us, not uh, from a parental point of view, but from a societal point of view, is that we create youth and we create it in our image and you know, they rebel and we, we have a go at them for rebelling <laughs> because they must. But do they have to? Is that not because parenting? I suppose parenting... They, didn't, they didn't
1: really. I mean, if you think of like the, what young people were doing in the late 60s, mm. their parents weren't. They, they,
0: they weren't they, you didn't even have teenagers until the 50s. Yeah, maybe that is a, a look at how maybe discipline or standards of, of parenting or a society changing. Yeah, to allow more and more scope and less sanctions on young people. Fewer, sorry, yes, <laughs> must get my grammar right. <laughs> yeah, fewer, was, fewer, fewer, sanctions on young people. I guess we, I mean, uh, I said before the the the, the
1: specific sixtiesness of this yeah. is is a slight problem for me. But um, he, he must have been making some sort of contemporary comment about youth. Well, you've got the hip, hip bone
0: hip dad or yeah, the, yeah. you've got that uh, double meaning haven't you
1: no what i mean is i mean i'm sure he must have been trying to say something about what young people were like then and
0: then mm-hmm. and i you know the, the rest of it is well maybe it's youth being disconnected from the greater whole and bringing youth back into the fold bringing youth back into the skeleton i'm all bone daddy <laughs> <laughs> if he's all bone he's not separate units creating is he yes maybe it's about the disconnection of youth and Disconnection as language is part of Disconnection. But music being the connective tissue.
1: Yeah. My brain is bleeding.
0: <laughs> that's why
1: we're here, isn't it? That's why we're here. We were talking before about The Undertakers, uh, the guy with the guards yeah. with the top hat. Well, Calus, Is there, it's there a sort of a death-like... He does a lot with a bell, and I'm su- sure it's not just because it's a nice prop.
0: That's, that's quite nice... You're full of them today <laughs> <laughs> is that not reflecting is that not um, mocking the establishment mocking the the elders yeah he's in, a sort acquiring, of Acquiring, attaining a, appropriation of their dress yes he has, he has, he's appropriated the, the dress of, of an aristocrat mm. and um, also military it's a military tunic isn't it
1: yeah but at the same time uh, mo- in, a, in a, a completely mocking way
0: mm. but mm. like you said before if you go to Carnaby, if you went to Carnaby Street in 1967 you would find clothing just like that, these kind of, you know, Jimi Hendrix-style tunics, the top hats, you know, these kind of Crimean War uniforms that people would wear. I think that's probably a good place to leave it for this episode.
1: Yes, there was never a chance in hell we were going to get that done in one session. (laughs) (laughs) So we shall return
0: uh, next week when we'll find out who number one is. Free For All podcast was presented by Kai Ross and Chris Bainbridge. The theme tune was by Gordon Milton and
1: special thanks to Jemima Dunkar for the artwork. Please see you.
0: You can find us on Twitter at Free For All Pod, or on Facebook at Podcast Free For All.